and welcome to Insurance Town. I'm the Mayor Heath Sharon and the host of this podcast. Guys, thank you so much last week for showing up for the town hall meeting, our second town hall meeting. And we had my special guest, Bradley Flowers, talk all things marketing and social media. And we got into some really cool topics. Great questions asked by you guys. He was impressed at how deep we ran and that we had so many people show up. And thank you so much for showing out and for showing off in the insurance town. It really means a lot to me. Today's episode is sponsored, as always, by my title sponsor in Canopy Connect. They do a great job being your one click solution to getting those deck pages that you need to quote your prospect. Also, if you listened last week, you heard they've got some cool new integrations. They got some pretty cool stuff going on. If you didn't listen, go back and check it out. Or uh, you can go to usecanopy.com to get your demo. Always mention my name and you'll get your discount. Uh, You can schedule your demo. You can meet Tolga, tell him I said, what's up? Great guy. Today, 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 I'm super excited because I've got my main man, Brian Ahern coming on the show, author of some pretty awesome books, Influence People. And people, guys, is an acronym. I guess that's what you call it, an acronym. People, everyday opportunities to persuade that are lasting and ethical. That was his first book that did really well and really touched a lot of people. uh, And I really wanted to have him on to talk about that. Now he's got a second book out called Persuasive Selling, for relationship-driven insurance agents. And man, the titles are long, but the information and the content is so good. Um, He really gets into a lot of incredible information and good content on this episode. And I really want you to dive in with me and check it out. Um, Again, Brian Ahern started off his career with Travelers and did some work with State Auto. You're gonna hear his story. Sit back, relax and enjoy my conversation with Brian Ahern. Brian Ahern, how you doing, my man? I'm doing great, Heath. It's good to see you. Good to hear you. Yeah, good to see you, too. I like that that backdrop you got going on there. Uh, yeah. Tell me, that's not your real living room, is it? No, it's not. I put a studio in um, our daughter's old bedroom, and it's intended to give more engaging presentation. So you're looking at a 55-inch uh, screen TV. I know your listeners can't see that, but it says, Hello, Heath, and it's got the Insurance Town logo up there and got a cool backdrop. I've got a number of different backdrops. I don't rely on green screens, so I can give engaging presentations in different venues for people. Yeah, that's super sharp, man. I think that's smart. Um you know, and we're going to get into some more of that here a little bit as we talk. Um, so, you know, we got Brian Ahern here, guys, and I want you guys to hear his story. So, Brian, why don't you and I take a walk down memory lane, and why don't you uh, go back as far as you want to and bring me up to where you are today and tell me your background. All right. Well, you want to go back to the beginning. I was born in Honolulu, Hawaii. That was Oh, that didn't is stay- cool. Yeah, didn't didn't stay there too long. My dad served in the Marines during Vietnam, but for what's relevant for for the listeners, I like probably every listener who's in the insurance industry stumbled into insurance. Uh, you know, we all have a story as to how we got involved. And um, I got involved because I was dating a girl and I lived in Columbus. I still live here. And there was a job offer from Travelers Insurance. I thought, I don't know anything about insurance, but I'll go listen. Liked what I heard, thought, hey, I'll stay in Columbus. 
family's here, friends are here, the girl I was dating took the job. And the very first day uh, with the travelers, I, I met my wife. We both started the very same day and we're coming up on our 33rd anniversary. So it's worked out pretty well. And uh, from, tra from the travelers started in personal lines, moved to commercial, went over to state auto insurance, spent the vast part of my career there, left a little over two years ago to venture out on my own to help agents and uh, company sales reps understand the psychology of persuasion and how to bring that into their sales conversations. And that's what I do now full time. First of all, I got to say, congratulations on 30 plus years of marriage. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it, it goes by quickly. I, I used to hear people say seven years, 10 years. I'm like, 10 years? Are you kidding me? You know, And now 30 plus years have gone by. And I, I tell you what, it doesn't seem like 30. It's, it's a ton of fun. We have as much fun, I think, as we did when we first started dating. We just do different things. But life's unfolded pretty well for us. Yeah. Now, do you, uh, do you does she still work in the insurance industry at all? I know no. you said you both started at Travelers together. Yeah, she was in for about a decade. She was a field rep with Travelers, then she was with CNA, and then she was an independent agent for the last three years of her insurance career. When our daughter was born, she decided that she would stay home, and I thought that's a great idea. It worked out really, really well for us. She is no longer in the insurance industry. She works part-time at a leadership firm, and she helps me on the side in terms of her outreach to big eyes, PIAs, other uh, industry associations, because she knows the industry well. She understands completely what I do. And then her background beyond her work, her family's had an insurance agency for 140 years in Southwest Pennsylvania. Wow. So insurance runs deep in our family and her family. Yeah, it sounds like it. 140 years. So I'm a second generation myself and my wife is a second generation insurance professional. So I do get some of that. That's awesome. Um, and so y'all have one kid together, yep, a daughter? A, a daughter who is 25. She is an interpreter, an American Sign Language interpreter, and utilizes that skill set interpreting and works at a nursing home where there is a very large deaf population. She kind of works the front desk area and uh, she's just passionate about the deaf community. It's really cool to see her get to do something that she's been passionate about for really for 10 years now. That's awesome. Um, that is awesome. So, um, how, talk to me about this. Okay. So you go from, you know, being at travelers at your role there to writing your first book. And I'm guessing it's your first book was influence people. Correct. Correct. What, talk to me about that. What that looked like. How did you make that transition and how did you come up with that, uh, that kind of niche to get into with the influence of people and the sales side of everything on that? Well, I got into the niche when I was involved with sales training when I was with, with state auto insurance. And I was working with our field salespeople and occasionally do some things with agents. And a coworker gave a video uh, to my boss and I. She was studying for her master's at the Ohio State University. She said, hey, I think you guys really like this video. And the video was a man named Robert Cialdini, who was a professor at Arizona State University, and he was presenting at Stanford, and he was talking about the psychology of persuasion. Yeah. And he, for me, right away, the light bulb came on because I thought, holy cow, everything he's talking about, this psychology is the underpinning of all sales. It's either why certain approaches work or why certain don't. And I was so intrigued by that uh, by the research that backed up everything that he was talking about, and in particular, his stance on ethics. So between those three things, 
I just dove in deep and I started using this video in some training that I was doing. And it was purely coincidence that I ended up getting connected to Dr. Cialdini. Um, I signed up for some of Stanford's marketing and they had some really great materials. And one day, one of their marketing flyers came across my desk. And as I'm paging through it, I see his picture, Cialdini's. In bold letters, right at the top, it says bestseller. And right underneath it, in bold letters, call it influence, persuasion, or even manipulation. And I thought, I cannot believe they actually used that word because he's so clear about non-manipulative ways to interact with people. So something in me thought it needed to be addressed. So I emailed Stanford and I basically said this, I don't know anybody who wants to be manipulated and I don't know anybody who's looking to become a good manipulator. The word cannot be helping your sales, but it's probably really hurting. I never heard from Stanford, but sometime later my phone rang and it was Robert Cialdini's office. One of his representatives introduced herself and said that she was calling to thank me on behalf of Dr. Cialdini because the email that I sent to Stanford Stanford changed the marketing of all their materials because of my email. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. And, and we had a nice conversation. And before she hung up, she said, you know, if your company's ever looking for a guest speaker, he travels the world and speaks about this. I said, I sit next to the woman who plans our events and books our, our speakers. I made the transfer. He was in Ohio then in the summer of 2004. And the, the rest is history, as they say. I was so intrigued. I just kept pursuing it, got certified to teach on his behalf and morphed it into my business influence people. And that's a long way of saying getting to your question was about my book. When I came in contact with his material, I started blogging back in 2008. So by the time I wrote my book, I'd been blogging weekly for 10 years. I had a ton of material to synthesize into a book to share with the public. And that's how it came about. So it came about from the the years of blog posts, because uh, the book has not that old, the, the first book. Um, and so you came up, you got another one we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. So you had back-to-back -back books. So it came from 10 plus years or whatever of blogging. Yep. Um, and you just kind of put some of those together. And uh, so what what got you into the blogging? Was it going back to the State Auto? Was it going back to, did you work with the pace setters over at State Auto? Or I, was it? I didn't work. I was not part of the pace setter program. Ken Fields and Diane Masterson, the, the pace setter coaches, we were all in the sales department together. So I've known those two for going on 30 years. And we were together in, in weekly sales meetings and things. Um, as far as um, the blogging, I, I started blogging because I was talking with a friend on the phone one day. And he said, man, this stuff is so interesting. Have you ever thought about blogging? And Heath, truthfully, back in 2008, I'd only heard the term. I had never even read a blog. But right. as Talked, I went out on eBlogger and figured out how to set up a blog. And so before the phone call was over, I had set up a site and I thought, well, I got to put something out there. And, and I wrote something the first week and I wrote something the second week. And I'm very fortunate that I'm a, a highly disciplined person that comes from my father. You know, I mentioned being a Marine. And so I just started a, a routine of every single week. And the only weeks I've ever missed were my wife and I went on our 30th anniversary to Scotland and I said, I'm taking three weeks off. But other than that, every week like clockwork, I've put a new blog post out for the last now 13 years. Now, were those blog posts always about something sales related or people related or influencing or was it just random thoughts by Brian Ahern or? The vast majority, <laughs> the vast majority influences is, is the baseline of it. Uh, a lot on selling, a lot on coaching, leadership. 
I've written a lot of stuff about what I see in society. You know, sometimes it's uh, like politicians. What are they doing? How are they trying to influence or manipulate us? I like to write about things that I think people are going to find very relevant. And so social topics over the course of time have become a bigger and bigger part of what I write about. Yeah, I think it's interesting you brought up manipulation a couple of times and I find it fascinating because I'm, I'm big on, on on people and on relationships. And if you listen to any of my podcasts, I talk about relationships a lot on my show. And a lot of times people equate influence with manipulation and they, you know, put persuasion with manipulation and almost a negative connotation. And that's something that bugs me uh, deeply and because I don't feel like I feel like one of my biggest strengths uh, in my own life and in my own career is building those relationships and the importance of those networking events and building those relationships and following up with people and, and the different ways of doing that. What are your thoughts on that? You know, it, it bugs me to hear manipulation as, as a term used in that same sentence. I don't like that people make that, that they equate the two but I love it when they ask me about it because I can share my story and legitimately tell them I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now if it weren't for manipulation. Manipulation is what caused me to reach out to Stanford and say, no, you have it wrong. And this guy's not talking about manipulation. He's talking about ethical influence. Um, the reality is, Heath, we are trying to influence people from womb to tomb. The moment that a baby comes into the world, it has a need. And it cries. And, and mom or dad tries to figure out, does it need to be fed, burped, changed? What is this? But that baby has a need and it is doing what it can to get the need met. And then we grow up and we learn how to communicate in other ways. And we are always trying to get people to help meet our needs or to do things. So when somebody says, you know, I, I don't ever try to influence people or I don't try to persuade people, that's because they are unaware of what influence and persuasion really are. We can do it ethically. And, and let me give you the quick definition of, of ethically doing this. The first thing is we have to be truthful. If you have to resort to lying about something, then you got a problem with your product, service, idea, whatever. We need to, and when I say we need to be truthful, it's not just tell the truth, you don't hide the truth. I can't withhold something hoping you don't ask about it. And then you find out afterwards and you say, Brian, why didn't you tell me about uh, this particular thing? I have no defense to say, well, Heath, you didn't ask. You are not going to look at me as an ethical individual if I'm hiding the truth. So tell the truth, don't hide the truth. Second thing that we talk about is you, you only use the the psychology that's natural to the situation. So as an example, there's something called social proof. We're impacted when we learn lots of people are doing something. If lots of people are not doing something, don't try to use social proof or scarcity. We, we are more motivated to take action if we think we're going to lose something because it might be rare or going away. If there's not true scarcity, if there's an abundance of something, don't try to act like there's scarcity. Don't falsely use this psychology. And then the third thing that we talk about is whatever we're proposing has to not just be good for me, but it has to be good for you. So I like to say, you know, good for you, good for me, then we're good to go. If what I'm putting on the table is going to truly be beneficial and helpful for you, and, and even if I benefit from that, that's okay. You know, your, your listeners are in the insurance industry. Many of them earn their living on commission because they're helping people it's okay that you're getting something out of it as long as you're giving value to the other person. Now, the, the question then becomes, do I really know what's going to be valuable for you? And sometimes we can miss 
you know, sometimes I might not fully understand you and, and we can miss, but if I really do my job well and I understand what your needs are and I can show you that what I have to offer is gonna make you better in the long run and I'm doing it truthfully and I'm only using psychology that's natural to the situation, I can feel good about the fact that I am an ethical influencer. Yeah, it's one of those things that when I'm talking to people or you know working on a deal or doing anything, I try to say or try to be you know fair on all parties, mm-hmm. uh, and I try to tell my kids the same thing when they're negotiating with each other. You know, you've got if you're trying to negotiate or if you're trying to work out something or influence someone, it's always best to make it fair on all parties. If it's like you said, good for you, good for me, good to go. I like the way you say that because that's something I try to teach my kids and something I've always tried to do in my own life of if it's only good for me, then it's not you know, going to be a good deal. If it's only good for Brian Ahern and not me, then it's only good for you. And I'm not going to be a part of that. So it also goes back to the old golden rule principle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the way I kind of do it. Try to teach my kids and try to teach other insurance agents that I work with. Uh, and I love the same type tactics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, one of the principles, the golden rule we, we teach is reciprocity. Reciprocity is the natural obligation that you may feel to give back to me if I do something to help you first. But when we do this, we don't, we, when we understand that rule, we don't use it as this big lever. Well, I'm going to do something for Heath so I can pull the lever and get him to do whatever I want. If I'm really going about this the right way, I'm going to do something to genuinely help you because I want to see you succeed. I want you to have success. I want to do something that's going to be genuinely good for you. Now, if I do that and you benefit from it, then I realize that if I ever need your help, you probably are more than happy to help me if you have the the time and the resources to do so. So in a sense, our giving is never giving away because it will come back in spades. And that's why Zig Ziglar used to say, you can get everything you want in life if you would just help enough other people get what they want. The more people you help, the more people will help. And you've multiplied your resources. Yeah, I think it it always goes back to come from a place of, of genuine is genuineness. Is that a word, but yeah. coming from a place to where if it's genuine and people can feel that. Yep. And if you're building those relationships and you're working on those, uh, you know, influencing folks the right way, I think they can tell if it's genuine or if it's yeah. authentic. That's another big buzzword is authentic. And I think it, it goes back to what you're saying. Yep. Well, here's, so here's another concept we teach. It's called liking and everybody gets this, right? It's easier to say yes to somebody that you know and like. But the problem that most people fall into is they work so hard to try to get people to like them, right? It's like me trying to get you, Heath, to like me. And I do it too hard and too much. And I come across like a used car salesman and it's a turnoff. The real key to that is going into a relationship and saying, I want to do whatever I can to like you, Heath. I want to find out as much as I can. When I find out that we have something in common, I want to connect on that. And I want to talk about that. Or if I see something or learn something I can genuinely compliment, I want to pay you the compliment. Now, you will, you will feel good about those things and you will like me a little bit more. But the real key is when I find things in you that I like, I like you more. When I find something I can genuinely compliment you about, I think more highly of you. And so the reality is I really start to like you. And when you sense that, that's where, you know, deep down, most of us feel friends do right by friends, right? And so all of a sudden you feel really good about me and the relationship. Yes. Uh, and I think that that's fascinating, especially when you go into, 
you know, nowadays in the last 10, 15 years with the importance and the, the social media aspect of it. And even Facebook uses liking as an algorithm. And I think that's, you know, even making it more, uh, people are more inclined to look for people to like me and people to want to be around me. So I think this principle of liking that you teach, uh, can you go further into that a little bit? Sure. I, I think the danger of those algorithms is you start funneling into people who are just like you. But the good news is when you really lay hold of this principle, you can meet people who on the surface may seem like they're very different. Yet you find that one thing that you have in common, the, maybe the sports team you cheer for, where you went to college, the pet you have, the age of your kids, something that says, hey, we're a little bit alike. And then you really start to focus on talking about that. You know, tell me about your kids. Let me tell you about my kids or the pets or whatever that may be. And all of a sudden, even though on the surface, you might have said like, I don't think we have anything in common. You found that one thing. And then it becomes very easy to start building from there to find other things that you have in common. Or again, if I look for the good in you and I see something that's complimentary and I pay you that compliment, I begin to think more highly of you and it becomes easier to find the second and the third and the fourth thing to compliment. And I start finding those things and I'm like, man, I really like that guy, Heath, because I'm almost convincing myself about what a good person you are. That's the key in terms of building those relationships. And this is where if I do it the right way, then my giving, engaging reciprocity is coming from a genuine place because I've come to know and like you and I genuinely want to help you. So what I'm offering or doing to help you is coming from a really good place. It's not coming from the place of I'm giving to get. But I also feel very comfortable going back to people I know and like that I've helped and say, I got this thing going on. Is there any chance? And, and we talk about what they might or might not be able to do. And those are the people who, who really want to help. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I, it, so if we've got, this show is obviously insurance town. We've got a lot of insurance agents listening to this. And so, you know, the way that I would equate this when I was a producer for many years was, you know, getting involved in the different, you know, B&I groups, Chamber of Commerce, um, you know, Rotary Club. It could be anything to that nature. Um and is that kind of, you know, what you talk to your agents or people that you talk to about, is this kind of where you're looking to use these principles and maybe give an example or two of what, how an agent listening to this might be able to use some of these tactics on a practical manner? Well, uh, you can, any one of those groups that you just talked about, um, some people join those groups primarily because they want to make connections and, and business contacts. I'm not really sure. Well, BNI, that's absolutely why that group exists. Rotary really doesn't exist for that reason. Rotary exists so people can donate and serve and, and things. Um, so I, I wouldn't suggest going in and trying to leverage all of that into a business relationship, but you still would use the same psychology to connect with the other Rotary members to get to know them and like them and want to participate. I think when you do that and people see the genuineness of you, the goodness that, that can come out of that, that's where they start saying, hey, I know somebody who, and they start making some of those connections for you. So absolutely. Um, I think anytime you go into a, a networking event, if you're going to go to a conference and you look online and you see people who are going to be at that conference and you pick a few that you say, I really want to meet these people, but you research them. And then when you get together, you can have conversations that really mean something. You don't have to start to get to know them. You've learned about them already. And that is a form of reciprocity too. A lot of people are like, wow, that's really cool. You spent that time, you know, finding out a little bit about me. I appreciate that. And then, 
You know, I also think going further into that, uh, as you've, you know, talked about some of this too, is uh, introducing other people to some of those people that you know and making those connections, I think, is another invaluable way of uh, using some of these things that you're talking about, some of these principles. In fact, that's a way that you and I met was through a mutual friend in Chris Paradiso. Yep. And he thought it'd be great for you and I to, you know, meet. We'd have some good synergy and he knew I was big into relationships and influencing people that you wrote a book about it and uh, persuasive selling. I want to get into that here in a little bit too. So I do think that's, you know, very important as well. When I was, you know, selling insurance, I had uh, a book of business largely, you know, with general contractors. And so I was always trying to connect my general contractors with either a, some of my homeowners that were looking to make some changes in their house or remodel yep. or other artists and contractors, a painter or an HVAC or a plumber and say, Hey, you know, if y'all met each other, maybe y'all could, you know, work together somehow and different jobs. And they were always very appreciative of that. And so I think, uh, you know, between those industries and, and between in introducing those folks, I think that goes right back into some of the things that you're talking about with those relationships and influencing people and scratching backs and looking to help the, the other person first before yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's, I find it fun. I, I really, you know, I think I've got a wonderful set of friends and a great set of connections, you know, whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn. And I love introducing people that I know, like, and trust that have a skill set to other people that I know, like, and trust who need a skill set. And, and to make that warm introduction, to really talk both sides up so that they're excited to meet each other. And then to just say, I hope this leads to some really wonderful things for the two of you. And then I step back and, you know, you let nature kind of take its course from there. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and I, and I, I'm the same way you are. I love people. I love introducing people to one another. I love making those connections. And I think it goes so much further than people realize. And uh, some people may look at it as um, a detriment maybe, or if I introduce them to this person, then it'll affect my relationship with so-and-so, or they'll steal that person from me as a center of influence or whatever. And I think that's the wrong way of looking at things. And, and it's not always about getting a piece of business. And so let me just tell a quick story that I had a friend named Tracy Austin and Tracy passed away about three years ago from pancreatic cancer. Tracy and I met because of Robert Cialdini. When Cialdini came to Columbus, Tracy worked at Franklin University and he came over with his boss and listened to Cialdini. We strike up a friendship and all of a sudden he says, hey, I'm going to do a, a coaching session. Would you come to this session? So I sit in this coaching session. This lady turns to me and she goes, I follow you on Twitter. And so, so Marcy and I strike up a friendship. And then later she says, I want you to meet Mary. She's my, my speaking coach. So she introduces me to Mary. Mary introduces me um, to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth says, would you speak at my quarterly event? I do that. I go back to the next quarterly event. I end up meeting this young guy named Dan. Dan and I strike up a friendship, have a great time. He introduces me to his boss. This is like eight years down the road, but he introduces me to his boss and he hires me to consult. And my wife actually works at that company now. All because oh, wow. one, one conversation and, and meeting Tracy and then the friendship that evolved from there. And it took a long time. And even if I'd never gotten any business out of it, I met wonderful people along the way. And that is what's really cool. 
And it's really fun when you start to learn that you said or did something that impacted that person in this big positive way. Yeah, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. I think that's incredible when you can go back and trace those relationships back and those chain of events back to one little small event or small conversation that so many people don't realize is impactful. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that one conversation, that one introduction uh, of Chris just saying, hey, you should meet Brian Ahern. And now you're going to be on the podcast. Someone's going to listen to this. It's going to influence, you know, their life. And then they'll probably share this podcast with somebody else. Yep. And one day they'll trace this all the way back to this podcast, which we'll trace back to months ago, meeting with through Chris Paradiso. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing to me when you follow that kind of stuff. And I nerded out there for a minute. Sorry, folks. But I do I do find that stuff fascinating. Um, and so, um, and so I'm, I'm assuming all these things you're talking about right now are in your first book, right? Or some of this in your second. Yeah. Well, okay, so. the, the first book introduces the psychology and it gives, and then there's some other psychological concepts that are talked about. And it looks at business case studies and it looks at... Um, just various ways to interact with people that I saw in my corporate life and, and um, some of the impact that those had, how you use this on social media and some other things. So it's kind of a catch-all. The, the new book, Persuasive Selling for Relationship-Driven Insurance Agents, focuses very specifically, here's the, here's the psychology, here's how we use it when we're interacting with different personality styles. And then when you look at the sales process, and I lay out eight steps, what psychology is most effective at each of those steps? So if you're going to prospect, what's, what, which of the psychology should you be thinking about tapping into? And I'll just give a quick example that a lot of times when you're prospecting, you don't even have an opportunity to connect on liking or give or anything like that. But people want to know, are you really good at what you do? Do you have some expertise? Are other people utilizing you, social proof? And do you offer something or some combination of things that I might not be able to get somewhere else? Scarcity. And if you're perceived to be an expert, lots of people are utilizing you and they're not going to get exactly what you offer somewhere else. That's compelling to have a first meeting. So I want people to think about those things. And then I give lots of examples throughout the, the book and how you can tap into that. But, but that's being very strategic then about how you're methodically going through the sales process so that you get more first meetings. Those first meetings lead to more presentations. You're, you're uh, handling objections better, so you close more sales. And all of a sudden, you know, these small incremental steps are leading to big, big changes in your overall results. So first of all, you need to change your mindset to become a relationship-driven insurance agent. Um, do you want to give that a little bit? What's your uh, what that looks like to you to be, a, you said, a relationship-driven insurance agent? Yeah. Um, a lot of what we've already touched on. Right, right, right. Of liking and, and doing things to genuinely help others, engaging reciprocity. Um, those are really the starting point. The, the principles that I teach, you can look at them at a very high level and say, there's some that are really good for relationship building, some that are particularly good for overcoming objections and a few that are really good when it comes to closing a sale. That's kind of a 50,000 foot view. Right. But when it comes to the sales cycle and, and some of these sections of the sales cycle can be combined. I mean, you may be prospecting because you knocked on a door and it turns into the first call and you qualify, et cetera. But, but each of them deserves some thought because they're, they are distinct in what you're trying to accomplish. So I look at prospecting as the first step. You do okay, that so well. So prospecting is step one. Yeah, you do that well. It's going to lead to a first meeting. And so that's step that. two. 
Yeah, you get that 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 first actual business meeting with with that person. Uh, then you move into qualification, right? Uh, can we do business? Do we want to do business? Not every potential client is going to be a good client or the right fit. When you understand some of this too, then you're comfortable maybe referring them to somebody else. And if that something good happens there, it'll come back. You know, whether it's the person who wrote the account or whether it's the the person who says, "I really appreciate that honesty, Heath, and in in moving me over here, it's worked out great." Maybe they're the one who gives you that next referral. So right. again, your, your giving is never giving away. It's just not going out into no man's land. It, it, it seems to work its way back. So, we, so we've got those first three. Then we, then we move into presenting, right? At some point as an insurance agent, you're going to present what you believe is the right solution for that uh, prospective client. Now, that's almost always met with some objections. Most people don't just right. go, wow, Heath, that was the best presentation since sliced bread. Let me sign. If it happens, hey, good for you. But most of the time, people are going to have some kind of objection. So we got we to deal with objections. Then we move into negotiating. You know, it's still going to be some negotiating on price, terms, conditions, closing the sale, and then getting referrals. So that's, that's eight steps in a, in a cycle. And if the referral process goes well, you're back to the, you know, your first meeting or you're prospecting those, those referrals, depending on how tight the referral is, but then it just keeps repeating. And so in those uh, eight steps in a sales cycle, and you say it starts with the prospecting, ends with the referrals. Um, and so you're kind of beginning and ending with the, you know, with the client, whether it's the future, both, I guess, future clients. And so, um, and I agree with that. I think it also goes back to what you're talking about, about building those relationships, because both of those come from the same place and that's building relationships. Right. So when, when it comes to referrals too, and, I, and I'll just share, this is something you talk about in the book. I am not a fan of Heath, since we're doing business now, who else do you know that might want to move their business to the Ahern agency? Right. Because think about this. I hope everybody who's listening to this thinks about this. When somebody has made a decision to move their insurance to you, and whether it's their, their personal insurance or if it's bigger because it's their business, they're wondering things like, is this the right move? You know, I've been with my other agent for a long time. Last time things didn't work so great. There's a lot of doubt there. The last thing that they're thinking about is, oh, wow, Heath, how can I help you now? So the way I think you approach that is to say, you know what, Heath, um, I'm so glad that Joe referred you over to me, uh, but don't worry, I'm not going to ask you about referrals. I know you've got a lot on your mind right now. And the truth is, I've not proven myself to you yet. But what I would like to ask is this, favor: If seven or eight months from now, you're happy that you made the switch, would you be open to talking about referrals, right? So this is a really soft approach. Would you be open? Yeah, most people would be open to that. You're not putting any pressure in the moment. But if you say, yeah, you know, that sounds fair, then I need to make sure that I've got a system that allows me to follow up because in seven months or so, I'm going to get on the phone and I'm going to call you up and I'm going to say, hey, Heath, it's Brian. How are you doing? And we're going to have a little chatter. And then I'm going to say, um, do you remember when we talked about you making this move and I asked about referrals? You sound like you're pretty happy. Isn't that the case? And you say, yeah, I'm really happy that I made this change. Could we set a time next week to talk about referrals? And I do not want to ask you in that call because you picked up the phone. You were not thinking about who can I refer to Brian. What I want to do is tap into some psychology that's in the book called persuasion. I want to basically set the stage for you to start thinking about who you could refer to me. So we agree that next week, maybe Tuesday at 2.30, we're going to talk for 15 minutes. We hang up the phone. 
I confirm that with an email or a meeting invite that says, Keith, thanks so much for agreeing to talk about referrals. I'm glad Joe referred you to me. Uh, I'm sure you know some wonderful people, something like that. But you're starting to think about referrals now. And over the weekend, you're thinking about referrals. And even if you forget, I'm going to send you that reminder on Tuesday morning. Heath, looking forward to talking to you at 2.30 about referrals today. Now you're starting to think again. And by the time I make that phone call, you've been giving a lot of thought to who you could refer as opposed to right at the close of a sale. And you're going to just give me the name of your mom and dad and your brother <laughs> to get me off your back, right? This is the stuff that the book talks about. How do I psychologically set the stage to make it easier for people to give me quality referrals? And if you do this the right way, seven months from now, you're making lots of phone calls for all the people that you're writing today. And then it just begins to take on a life of its own. So that's, those are some things that I share that are different, I think, than a lot of pe what people are doing now because they're not thinking about the psychology behind what it is they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I like everything in there. I want to back you up a minute. So after the close of the sale, uh, you're looking seven to eight months later, you said, six to eight months, whatever that time frame is, before you even approach them about the referral. And so, but the thing I like about that the most is during that seven to eight months, you're going to have to be building that relationship. You're going to have to stay in front of that client you're going to have to be giving them a reason to want to refer you. So that goes back to whatever your onboarding experience looks like, whether it's, yeah. you know, how many touches that you have to set up between now and then. Do you send them postcards? Do you send them emails? Do you phone call them? Whatever your process is. So I do, you're always building that relationship. Absolutely. And, and I love that. You may have, a different methodology. I know when I listened to the show you did with Chris Paradiso, he had just a huge number of touches that, and he kind of outlined what those were. And all of those keep them thinking about him as, as the agent. But really what I'm looking at is I'm, I'm looking at tapping into some very specific psychology that's laid out in the book. And one of the pieces of psychology is called consistency. Okay. We, we feel an internal psychological pressure, but also an external social pressure to be consistent in what we say and do. We don't like to say, we don't like saying one thing and doing another, right? I don't like making a promise to you um, that I'm going to do a podcast with you and then I have to back out, even if my reason's legitimate. I hate how that feels. And most yeah. people are that way. And so when you say something like, Heath, you know, would you be open to talking about referrals if, you know, seven, eight months from now, you're happy that you made the switch? Once you say yes, that psychological trigger happens. And when I call and I start talking, you remember what you said and you feel an obligation to follow through on your word. So that's the, the psychology of like asking the question rather than telling. And all of this is, is laid out in the book to make it easier for people to, to follow through and do what you need them to do to have a successful agency. Yeah, I, I love so much of that. And I could you know really camp out right here for a minute, but I do want to give you some time to discuss more about your second book. And I may have to have you come back on again and we can dive right into some of those things about the re referral process and building that relationship and onboarding and the touches. There's so yeah. much of that we could really camp out in. One, but one for the purposes of, go ahead. Well, I do want to say one thing that I think um, agents will find very interesting. I, I have a, a very specific section on, on how you sell telematics. You know, when you've got people going, I don't want big brother watching me and I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This. 
there's, there's a whole section on the psychology of how to engage somebody in that. Because if you do that well, and that customer saves some money, they're better off. You're better off because you've built loyalty. They're probably going to tell people you're going to get referrals. There's all kinds of good things that come out of that. But you have to understand how to have that conversation so they don't feel like they're being tracked. Yes. Yeah. And I think there's so many other features within a policy you could do as well, not just telematics. So I think that's awesome. And I'm glad that there's a a section on that that they could use in other areas. So the book, um, you know, Persuasive Selling for Relationship-Driven Insurance Agency. That's a title. It's a tongue twister for me. But anyway, tell me, okay, we've talked about the eight steps in a sales cycle. What are some other key things in that book that, that you just would, you know, you really think would stand out to some of my audience right now? Okay. Uh, one of the concepts we talk about is called persuasion. And persuasion. Yeah, you brought that up. Okay. Persuasion. I wrote that down a minute ago. So it's a Go little ahead. bit of a play on the word persuasion. And persuasion really is kind of what we do in the moment, how we communicate in the moment to get somebody to to say yes to whatever it is that we think is going to be in their best interest. Persuasion is how we set that moment up. And let me give you, I'll share a piece of research that I think will drive this home. There was a study done where as customers would enter a grocery store, somebody would engage them and they basically would say this, I work for a marketing firm. We represent ABC company. They've come out with a new type of pop. And we're asking customers, if you're willing to give us your email address, we will send you an email with coupons for free samples. And in that straight up persuasive interaction, 33%, one out of every three people said, sure. And they gave the email. When they used a persuasive opener, they, they got 76% of people. So two and a half times more people said yes to the exact same request. And here's what they did. When you'd walk in, the person would say, excuse me do you consider yourself to be adventurous? Somebody likes to try new things. Well, we can all search our memory banks and find a time or two where we did something a little crazy and wild, adventurous, or we can all think of times where we have tried something new. So almost every person said yes to that. And once they did, they would step in with, I work for a marketing firm. We represent ABC company. They've come out with a new type of pop and we're asking customers, if you give us your email, we'll send you an email with coupons for free samples. But psychologically, once they saw themselves as people who like to try new things, they were much more open to trying new, to giving the email to try the new type of pop. That's some psychology that most people never even think about. How do I set the stage so that when I do move into that part of the sales cycle, it becomes easier. That person is mentally ready to say yes. Persuasion is about what can I do that might change somebody's mindset to make them more open? So some of the things that impact our thinking uh, beyond what I shared there, where we are, the physical location that we are in has a huge impact on how we think and behave. And and with this, I, I say work, worship, workout, right? You may be a very different person at work than you are wherever it is that you worship or where you work out, right? At work, you might be like head down, super quiet, real productive. Where you worship, you might be more friendly and outgoing. And and then where you work out, you could be like super aggressive and chatty trying to draw energy from people, right? So you're the same human being, but you're three very different people. Someone could ask you the very same question in each of those locations and get a very different answer. 
Yeah, that's very when, true. When you begin to understand that, then you start saying, hmm, this is a really important client and this is a big meeting coming up. Is there any opportunity that I have maybe to control where we meet to put them in an optimal mindset? Do I need them to be really relaxed? Do I need them to be uh, hyper-focused? Do I need them to be open-minded? Do I want them to be kind of closed-minded and conservative? Once you understand what the right mindset will probably be, that's where you start looking for the opportunity to do something that's really apart from your request, but will impact that request. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, from what you're saying also, it has a lot to do with the way you ask certain questions and the tonality or the certain words that you use more than, you know, or as equal to the message that you're trying to get across. So, um, and what, so I would the- say, what I would say to that Heath is whatever it is that you're going to say, if you determine, Hey, you know, these are the right 10 words that I need to use when I interact with that client, then I would say, what, what would be the mindset that would probably make them most open to say yes? If you say, well, they got to be in a good mood, or again, I need them to be thinking conservatively because I want them to, to say yes to these additional coverages. What might you say or do that would put them in that conservative mindset? And sometimes it's a simple message or a mention of something that will trigger conservatism, or maybe you need them to be more liberal, something that would get them open-minded. But, but that's what I'm saying is whatever it is you're going to say in the moment, you can magnify that by, getting, by changing their mindset, by recognizing that if they're thinking about certain things, they may be more open to whatever it is that I might ask next. And, and I can give you a, a very personal example that's laid out in the book. When, when I met my wife the first day at work and we started dating right away, and then my old girlfriend called and I was back and forth for six months. And... Um, when I finally, had, I think, settled in my heart who I wanted to be with, I wasn't going out with my wife, but I felt like I wanted to marry her. And so I, I outlined the story. I knew I was going to need to do something big. I knew I couldn't just at work say, hey, I'm sorry for the indecision. I love you. Will you marry me? She probably would have said, right. go jump in a lake. <laughs> so so I, I set the stage. I used I didn't know I was really doing this at the time. I didn't know what persuasion was, but I knew I needed to do something. And that something was, I sent her a dozen roses to work at work on her birthday. And I asked if I could take her to dinner and she had agreed. So I showed up at her apartment with another dozen roses and a bottle of wine. And when we went to leave, I had rented a Rolls Royce with a driver. And so he drove us to downtown Columbus. And we, we had a dinner in one of the tallest buildings in the city. We rode this glass elevator up and we overlooking the skyline when we had dinner and we rode the glass elevator back down. And in the back of the rolls, I popped the question. I'm sure it was a lot easier for her to say yes with all that romantic buildup versus just in the hallway at work. I'm sorry, will you marry me? Right. I set the stage. And that's the thought process I want agents thinking about, you know, on their most important clients. How can I set the stage? What can I do that's going to put them in the right mindset for the thing that I'm offering that I believe is in their best insurance protection um, interests? Man, what a great story. And uh, now if there's any wives listening to this, they're going to be going home and you're going to upset some husbands here too, because that was, that was great. A driver and the whole nine. Wow. Uh, good for you, but I, I get the point where you're coming from on this and setting that stage, and I like that. Um, I can't believe it's already been an hour. So, what? Uh, what is? Uh, let's get a, a few other things. We've talked about pers- 
persuasion. Mm-hmm. Give me maybe one other thing at least that we could get into about your second book that will make people want to run out <clears throat> and buy both of your books. Right. Um, and then I I'd think- have a, another couple of questions after that, and then we'll wrap up. Okay. I, I think another thing that anybody would benefit from, I, I, your, your listeners are obviously in the insurance industry, but I tell people, even if you're not in the insurance industry, you're still probably following a sales cycle if you're a salesperson. And even if you're not a salesperson, you're having to sell yourself and your ideas. And so one of the sections in the book is how to deal with different people. And DEAL is an acronym that stands for Driver, Expressive, Amiable, Logical, four different types of personalities. And the book talks about the psychology and what psychology is most effective when you're dealing with that driver personality versus an expressive or the amiable or the logical. So I think people, even apart from the sales cycle, you know, they're going to go in and talk to their boss. Oh, she's an expressive. You'll understand how to deal with that expressive based on feedback I got from hundreds and hundreds of blog readers when I surveyed them many years ago. Yeah, I... uh... That's awesome. Um, do you want to um, go into that a little bit further? Well, um, first of all, I'll say deal. I call it deal because we deal with people and we try to close deals. And I, I think everything okay. needs to be memorable, right? You, you can't go into 16 different personality styles. You're not going to remember it. But if you are going with something that's very simple, like, is this person more focused on tasks just getting it done or are they relationship? That's one of the demarcations. And then are they like to, do they like to be in control or are they people who are more reserved and, and a little more inwardly focused? That's the other demarcation. So when you have the driver, that's the person who's get it done, I'm in control. Steve Jobs kind of person. When you talk about the expressive, that's the relationship driven person, but they also like to be in control. And I think Oprah Winfrey is a great example of that, right? She wants to hear your story but everybody knows Oprah Winfrey is in, is in control of her media empire. And then you can shift over to the person who's relationship driven, but they're also, they're not about controlling you or others. They're more focused on, on inwardly self-control and things. Mother Teresa is a good example of, of somebody like that, right? She changed the world by not trying to change the world. And, and then you get to the logical person who uh, Bill Gates, maybe uh, Albert Einstein, those are good examples. Those are people who are very, focused on getting stuff done, but they're not trying to control you like the driver. They're more inwardly focused. And we look at the psychology that's best to impact each of those people because it's a little bit different. And you don't want to go out and try to sell to everybody the same way. You don't go in and say, I'm good at relationships. I'm going to try to get this person to like me. And, and you know what? Donald Trump as a driver, Steve Jobs as a driver, they don't care about being your friend. Don't be impolite, but do not try to become their friend because they don't care. But, but there's other psychology that you can tap into that's going to probably catch their attention and make them pay more attention to what you have to say versus somebody else. So would you say, okay, that's a good point you bring up because uh, there are people that only sell to those that they relate to in that manner. Like me personally, if I were to go that route, I would only sell to people that want to buy from someone like-minded as me with the relationship. And then there's people that would say, adapt to your audience, adapt to your client, adapt to your prospect. Is that kind of the route you you would say to go to is adapt to your prospect, adapt to the client? Or would you say, stay in your lane and focus on what you're good at and how you influence people, how you persuade people and go that route? I, 
I think you primarily always want to play to your strengths. So for example, if you recognize right away that somebody doesn't care about anything other than price, and you realize that price is not the final yeah. determinant in giving value in an insurance protection plan, that's I do think you say, you know what, I, I think we value things differently here and, and I don't want to waste your time. And, and so I'll just back out of this. But there are going to be times where you have a client and maybe somebody new takes over. Maybe you've got this new contact in a business and, and this person's no longer that amiable, fun-loving person. They're a driver. You want to adapt. You don't want to just say, well, we're not going to do business anymore. So when you've got that choice, yeah, play to your strengths, but also recognize that you can adapt yourself. This, isn't, this is about understanding them and understanding this psychology and then saying, how can I best relate to them? You don't have to change who you are at all. You just change how you're communicating with them in a way that resonates more with them. And I think that when you have that approach, you start to feel better about the fact that, hey, I don't have to be this person's best friend to write their insurance. And I can still feel good about knowing I'm helping another business or another individual um, meet their protection needs better than where they were before. And that's a, that's a noble thing. Yes. Um, and so... I think that also goes into play with, you know, having a good team around you that if you can't play to that strength, you've got someone on your team that might be able to speak to that yep. personality. So did you ever teach dynamics of selling? No, but I went through it a couple of times. Uh, I sat through it when the pace setters did. And then yeah. we also utilized a, a program for company reps. So yes, I'm, I'm very familiar with that. Yeah. A lot of the things you're talking about, you can tell you've been through some of that. And I was a, a former pace setter myself. Um, and so uh, I went through that course as well. So, um, man, we've dug into a lot of good stuff this last hour. And I, you know, again, we could probably camp out for a long time on some of these other things. Um, now, a couple of things that I did want to ask you about um, just, you know, as we've talked in the, you know, a little bit prior to this conversation, actually several times, you know, one of the things you've brought up, I think is fascinating is, and we go back to the very beginning of this conversation. We talked about your backdrop and your background. Um, and we talked about, uh, you know, how important that was to you to have that visual, that optics behind you. Is that because you feel like, um, you know, there's always going to be some element of virtual in our new normal, so to speak. Yeah, there, there absolutely will be because whatever, whatever we move into after the pandemic, I, I'm so tired of hearing new normal, whatever life looks like after the pandemic, it will be different than what it was before. I think an example for many things I do, conferences will be different. We'll still have conferences, maybe they're smaller, but I do think another thing that's gonna happen is there will be a lot more participation virtually and it will be um, attendees, but it will also at times I think be speakers. So I want to be somebody who can participate that way. If somebody says, oh, Brian, we read your book, we really want you to speak at this conference. I'm like, oh, I can't be there in person, but I can do it virtually and I show them what I can yeah. do. And they might say, that would be awesome because that would be a, a break in how we're doing everything else. I want, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I ever had was luck is where preparation meets opportunity. That's and, a great saying. I love that saying. And this, this allows me, this, this virtual setup that I've created in my home allows me more opportunities because I'm prepared, even if I can't do something in the more traditional way. Um, the other thing I think companies are finding 
you don't have to get people together for a full day and do a data dump to train them. It's actually better. I last year as I worked with two the, three um, days. Yeah, break something. I, I have my my uh, eight hour workshop. We broke it up into three parts. We did two hours where we dove into the psychology. We did four hours on the sales cycle, and then in the fall we did two hours on the personalities. People got a chance to digest it, put it into practice. I was giving them follow up information, so they were always reminded of it. So really, they stretched that one day of learning over five months. And learning is something like working out yes. at eating, right? We don't go run 30 miles and say, well, I don't need to run the rest of the month. And we don't eat a 12,000 calorie meal and say, I don't need to eat the rest of the week. Humans right. do better when we take things in increments over the course of time. And learning is the same way. So this virtual setup is going to allow me to do a lot more of that. Yes. Uh, I, I I would love to know how many of those backdrops you have. Right now I've got five. So you could change it up day to day or yep. event to event. And so I think um, if you want to know more about that, we're going to get uh, Brian to give us his info. Maybe he could share with some of you on that. The other thing that I think is fascinating before I get you off the phone here, um, I love, I noticed in your books uh, and I've got the second book on its way, but I noticed on the covers, there's a theme going on there. Um, is that a brand conscious thing you have going on or, you know, and this could kind of go into a little bit of branding too. Uh, I know the story, but I'm teeing you up here. So uh, I think this is fascinating. Yeah, it, it, it's going to be a, a branding thing now. When the, the first cover, I've got a friend I grew up with, went to high school with, and he does marketing out in Chicago. And, and he was kind enough to help me with my logo. Um, funny story that when, when I first developed my own logo, and I was kind of proud of it, and I sent it to him, I'm like, what do you think? He sent me this really long email that just destroyed it. <laughs> And at the end, he said, I know this is more than what you were expecting, but I feel like a volunteer fireman. Just because I'm not on duty, I can't drive by a burning building. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good, Brian. So when, he, when, when I came up with the book, I turned to him and said, hey, Michael, would you help me with the cover? And he designed some and he came back. And I, and I really liked the cover on the first book because it shows you this this way to get through a maze quickly. And that's really what I'm teaching people, how to get to yes sooner and more often. And then, so when he came up with the cover for the second book, I loved it because it still kind of had the maze theme, but it's got the red balloon. It's kind of like uh, rising above it and succeeding. And so that's how I came up with the cover. I'm, I'm knee deep into a third book, which will be very different than the first two. It's a story format, but it's another way to teach the psychology that I'm teaching. And, uh, and there'll probably be some kind of cover that looks a little bit like these because, yes, it'll become my brand. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And so that consistency also helps so much in building a brand. Mm -hmm. uh, now, um, golly, so why don't we, why don't we wrap up with um, giving, um, you know, giving out your contact info um, and what, mm -hmm. uh, how they can get in touch with you, uh, maybe a website address, maybe uh, give the name of the titles of the books again. And I can put those in the show notes as well. But um, any way they can get in touch with you if these guys want to. The two best ways. Um, first would be my website, influencepeople.biz. If you go out to the website, there's a ton of free resources. Obviously, you have to buy the books. But there's intros to some of the LinkedIn learning courses that I've done. And, and my courses have been viewed by over 350,000 people around the world. So there must be something good going on there. 
Um, I've got more than a dozen years of blog posts that are available. I've been a guest on almost 100 podcasts. So, you know, if leadership's your thing or HR or whatever, you know, you can search through those and find different podcasts. Um, the other place is LinkedIn. Um, I, I connect with, with everybody. So because a lot of times when people are reaching out to connect, if they don't put a reason, they might have been somebody who took one of my courses or bought my book. And I don't want to turn somebody off. But what I will guarantee your listeners, if you reach out to connect with me on LinkedIn and you don't put a reason, I guarantee you, I will come back and say something like, hey, he, thanks for reaching out to connect. How did you find me? Because I like to know why people are, are reaching out. If you do put a message like I heard you on the podcast, I still guarantee I will respond to that personally. Because in fact, my blog post for this week coming up is, you know, social media, the word social, you got to have some interaction here. Otherwise, it's just media. So I like yep. to interact with the people that I connect with. So look on the website, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I think that's some really cool final advice too. To maybe the other people can follow that same advice as far as picking up people to follow on LinkedIn or social. Um, so any last any last words? Anything new you got going on? Anything before we sign off our, our final goodbye? Anything else you would like to share with us? Um, something uh, I'll mention that's that's new. And it's not insurance related at all, but I'm very excited about it. Um, my father passed away last September and it was unexpected. I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. It was, it was unexpected. And, um, <clears throat> you know, you, you go through a lot when, when something like that happens. And he and I had had a really rough patch for quite a while. And, and I mentioned earlier, he was in the Marines. Well, I, he wrote a document that was about 30 or 40 pages about why he went in and what he saw, what he experienced when he was in Vietnam and things. And, and I'm pulling together my eulogy and a letter I wrote him for his 70th birthday and, and other things. And what I want to do is synthesize this into a document that I will get in touch with the Marines and say, hey, look, I think this could help some of some of the these father-son, father-daughter relationships that, that you got going on because you become a Marine and, and you change and, and that can be pretty tough in some of the relationships. So I'm I'm really excited. And I think my dad would be, would just be smiling and would be honored to have our story help other Marines and, and their kids. So not insurance related, but it's something that it's a project for this year. And I'm really excited about it. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that personal story. And I know it touches a lot of people. Um, so thank you so much for that. You're welcome. You know, Brian, I appreciate you coming on the show with us today. I appreciate you visiting Insurance Town. Uh, I really do hope you'll come back again because I think there's so much we can learn from you and so much value add that you brought to the town. I really hope you'll agree to come back again someday. Uh, hey, absolutely. Anytime. It was, it's been enjoyable to get to know you, our conversations before this. I really enjoyed the interaction. Let's see what feedback we get and what we should talk about next time. <laughs> there you go. I look forward to it, my man. Thank right. you again. You're welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys so much for checking out my conversation today with Mr. Brian Ahern. I really hope that the content that we put out there made you a better insurance professional. That's my goal with every one of these episodes, and I appreciate you listening, and I appreciate you checking out the show. Be on the lookout for the next town hall meeting. We're going to try to have one in March. And every month throughout the end of the year, I'm super pumped and excited about these. They're going so well. Listen, guys, today's episode, if you have an idea for your own show, today's episode was recorded and produced by my man, Ryan Mayfield over at Ready, Set Podcast. Look him up on Facebook. Look him up on Instagram. 
Look him up on LinkedIn. Find him wherever. Go to his website, GetReadySetPodcast.com, and tell him I sent you. And I really think it's going to be good for your brand. And I really think if you're trying to get a, a niche out there, you're trying to build authority, podcasting's the way to do it. Ready, set, podcast. Turning your brilliant idea into a reality. Thank you, guys, and I look forward to hanging out with you next week.